I didn't introduce myself before, I'm sorry. I'm pastor Cam and uh, the lead pastor here at Eagle Ridge Lake Elsinore. And I uh, just want to welcome you this morning. Thanks for being here. Um, we're going to get into the word this morning. We are finishing up our series uh, that we've been going through called As the Church. And so a couple weeks ago when we, we first started part one was As the Church, we abide in the presence of God. Not only here on Sunday, but every day because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Last week we were talking about as the church we live through the presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Who keeps us accountable, frees us, and teaches us what we ought to know. And today we're going to talk about being the church. And as the church, we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the good news and speak of it in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we're going to get into the word this morning. I'm going to have you open up to Acts chapter 13. It's in your bulletin if you want to read along there. The, the scripture reference there is uh, it's quite a bit this morning, but that's okay. We love reading the word of God together. But if those of you that are new with us, what we do is we read the portion of scripture together, and then we're just going to spend a minute or two just resting in the word, uh, meditating on it, allowing the Lord, the Spirit to speak to us just through his word and nothing else. So we're going to read through this portion together, and then we'll spend a minute as we, as we do that. We'll pray, and then we'll get into the teaching this morning. So read along with me, Acts chapter 13, verses 16 through 41. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, and will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning them, condemning him, excuse me. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us as children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he also, in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. 
But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Verse 38. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So with that, that let's just sit with the, the word. Let God speak to you through that. If there's something you want to highlight or write down or take a note or just read, read, start reading through it again, then let's do that now as we just spend a minute or two in his presence. So again, in this, in this series we've been going through talking about as the church. And so today, as the church, we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about today. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus to speak of who he is, to speak of his goodness, to speak of this thing called the gospel. And we're going we're gonna to kind of get into that this morning. What is the gospel? And that's going to be our focus this morning. So I know that was a big portion of scripture, but hopefully you, you kind of heard what it was Paul was speaking. So this happened on one of Paul's missionary journeys. In fact, his first missionary journey, he's traveling to a place called Antioch in Pisidia. And if you know your ancient history, that is currently in modern day Turkey, if you know your geography as well. <laughs> it's in, in, in modern a country of Turkey in kind of the lakes region. There's like three lakes that kind of sit in the, the mid to western portion of Turkey. And as Paul is traveling, he comes upon this town and he goes to the synagogue that has already been established. So the word of God is already spread. Synagogues are popping up, sanctuaries and churches. People are meeting together, reading the word of God together. And he speaks to them of the good news. So I'm going to go through this portion again really quickly, just kind of laying the foundation. Then we're really going to get into what it is that the gospel is all about. So in verses 16 through 22, we won't read it together again, but in the synagogue, they're reading these scriptures and these men stand up, these Jewish leaders stand up and say, looking at Paul and Barnabas, his uh, companion with them and says, is there anything that you would want to give to us in this time? And that was a common practice in the synagogue of that day. They'd read the scriptures, they'd say some prayers, and then anybody that would have a word to speak, they would ask. And so they looked to Paul and Barnabas and said, do you have a word of encouragement for us? And this is what Paul stands up and what he brings. And it's a beautiful rendition of the gospel message. And I want to bring something very specific about this. He's addressing Jewish leaders. He is addressing Jewish Christians in the synagogue. And so these are people that have read the scriptures. They are familiar with the word of God as they had it in their day, which in that time was the, uh, the Old Testament and, and the prophets and, and the Psalms. And he also refers to God, those that, are, that, those that fear God, excuse me. So Jewish leaders and those that fear God. And who he's talking about there are what are referred to in scripture as the Gentiles. Gentiles just being non-Jewish people in their days, but also Gentiles that have heard the word of God at some point and are familiar with God, and are at least there in the synagogue because they know what is presented there in the synagogue. So he, he's, he's talking to people that are familiar with the Word of God. So that's what we need to keep in mind as we go through this. So believing these were regular attendees of the synagogue and heard the Word of God on a regular basis. We saw in Scripture that it said these Scriptures are read every Sabbath. Sound familiar? We come to church and we read the Word of God together every week. And so again, these people who are to be familiar with the Word of God have been hearing the Word of God spoken every single week, and yet they needed to be reminded of the story of God's work in their life. 
So Paul starts in verses 16 through 22 by giving them a short retelling of their own history. Right? So he, he goes back to the time that God had freed them from Egyptian captivity, brings them into the wilderness, brings them through the wilderness, all the way up to the, the judges and the king that they asked for, Saul, who he reigned for about 40 years, and then God removed from his, his position and then raises up David. Right? So he gives them a retelling of their, their own history, but again, all for a specific purpose, to tell the full story of God's redemption for them in their life and the purpose of what that story is all about and who that story points to, right? And so we get to verse 23, and verse 23 says, Of this man's offspring, speaking of David, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now something very particular we want to point out in that passage of Scripture right there, in that verse, he refers to Jesus as what? Savior. Right? So he refers to Jesus as Savior. So he is saying, this is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. He is your Savior. He is the one that was coming to redeem us, to save us, to establish his kingdom. As we spoke of last week, they were thinking there was going to be a physical or political kingdom reestablished in Israel. But as we talked about, that's not what the purpose was. So he refers to Jesus as that promised Messiah that they just didn't believe that's who he was. But he gets right to the point that with these religious leaders, they didn't agree with, but he brings them back to the whole point of what Scripture points to, which is Jesus Christ, our Messiah. He speaks of Jesus coming from the line of David. We also read in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Right? Who is Jesse? David's father. And so David becomes king, and from the line of David, we get Jesus Christ. We can also read of Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 17. No, excuse me, chapter 1, 1 through 17. We read that genealogy again that's laid out for us in the New Testament, going back from David all the way to Joseph and then Jesus. So basically, what is Paul laying out for these religious leaders? He's laying out the promise of Jesus Christ. He's laying out the, the fulfillment of Scripture that had been written for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that these religious leaders in the synagogue were reading every single week, if not every single day. Okay, reminding them of who it is that they are and what they need. In verses 24 through 25, he speaks to the ministry of John the Baptist. And there is an interesting correlation here of why he needed to refer to John the Baptist again. That John the Baptist had an amazing ministry, powerful ministry, so much so that John the Baptist himself had many disciples. And because of his ministry, those disciples were going out and speaking of the things that they learned from John. Not speaking to Jesus, but speaking to what they learned from John the Baptist. Now it's interesting, so when Paul was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, this is clarified, this, this issue with people believing in what John the Baptist said, not who Jesus was. In Acts chapter 19, verses 2 through 5, it says, He, Paul, when he's in Ephesus, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? Now listen to this. They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, 
telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. So Paul in Ephesus reminding the people, you weren't baptized into John, you were baptized into the repentance, into the salvation of Jesus Christ. So even John's ministry needed to be reviewed and clarified for these people. So if he did that in Ephesus, that's kind of what he's doing here especially telling of the, part, the, the portion of John's story where John even says, there's one that's coming after me of whom I'm not, I'm not even worthy to untie his, his sandals. Speaking of Jesus Christ. So he reminds them of, of that ministry, again, pointing to Jesus. So even though John himself proclaimed, I am not the Christ, as we read in John chapter 1, it still didn't matter. People were believing John's ministry and not the ministry of Jesus. In verses 26 through 31 of what we read this morning, speaking to those, again, familiar, and we'll go ahead in our language, we'll put that in air quotes, familiar with Scripture, Paul continues to speak to the fact that everything that was done to Jesus, his death and his resurrection, was done to fulfill Scripture. Now, why do we say that? If we jump to 1 Corinthians, he speaks the same thing to the church in Corinth. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins, now listen, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So what, again, is Paul having to remind the church in Corinth of and what he's having to remind this church here in Antioch of? That everything about Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection is in accordance with what they were reading. Pulling them back to the whole of Scripture, pointing to the redemption and salvation message of Jesus Christ in accordance with the Scriptures. This is paramount for us today. This is vital for us today. And I cannot clarify enough, that's exactly why we get into the Word of God and we just rest in the Word of God. If Paul back then was saying the importance of Scripture, according to Scripture, everything is revealed about Jesus Christ, Old Testament to New, why would we not get into this and understand it for ourselves? If it was important enough for the religious leaders of that day and the, and the people of that day, it's just as important for us today. So again, those scriptures were read every week, and yet they still did not understand. Something that we need to be aware of. And if I can grant a little warning for us today, all of us, no matter our position, no matter who we are, getting caught up in the religious practice is detrimental to us understanding and knowing the Word of God. If we just get caught up in the practice of coming to church sitting down and walking away, if that's all that we do and don't seek to understand God's Word, then we don't understand Jesus and we'll never understand the true definition and purpose of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to get beyond religious practice. But for these Jewish leaders and those in the synagogue, that's what they were doing. It was religious practice to come in, read the Scriptures, say a few prayers, and go on their way and never seek to fully understand the Word of God that has been revealed to them, and let it saturate their soul, let it change them, transform them, as we'll talk about. So again, he speaks to being as witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Paul spoke of the power of God and fulfillment of his redemption story. 
Now, why is that important again? When Paul's speaking to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's speaking to God's power. He is proving again to them, this Jesus who was raised from the dead is the Messiah through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Raised him from the dead, and yet you still don't believe in who he is. So Paul is rehashing the entirety of Scripture to these, these people. But what is Paul doing with them? What is he sharing with them? The gospel, the good news, that the whole of Scripture points to that pivotal moment of Christ's death and resurrection, which provides for our forgiveness of sins and our eternal salvation to belong to the family of God forevermore. How important that is. So here's where we get to the point, verses 32 through 37. I'm going to read verse 32 again because it's kind of the heart of what we're talking about this morning. He says in verse 32, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. This is the good news. That's how we define the gospel. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But the gospel is the good news. And that good news is the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That through that, He had fulfilled all of Scripture. And because of that, they have salvation. Because of that, they have eternal security. So what is Paul doing with these in Antioch and Pisidia and the synagogue? He's declaring the gospel. He's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So again, speaking to the resurrection of Jesus by using Scripture and language that is familiar to them. So even Paul, in the synagogue, goes back to Scripture and simply recites Scripture to them that points to Jesus. So let's take a look at that. In verse 33, he recites Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, which says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So God's speaking about His Son. He says, today I have begotten you. What does that mean to be begotten? It's basically a term for giving birth, to be born. So in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is saying, I have raised my son. I have given birth to my son through the Holy Spirit. And this is now my son. It's that speaking of that father-son relationship, which in actuality is a messianic title. Kings in their days would refer to their people as their sons. So that son-king relationship is a family relationship. In verse 34, he, re he refers to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3, and says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, your love for David. Just speaking to the eternal bond that we have with Jesus Christ if we believe in him. And then in verse 35, he recites Psalm 16, verse 10, you will, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Your Holy One, Jesus Christ, did not see death. We understand that, right? He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He didn't see death and would never see death again. That's why he referred to David seeing corruption. That David, when he finished his ministry and had his time, he was laid in his tomb and he saw corruption. Corruption is just simply a term for death. But what he says in Psalm 16, verse 10, you will not let your Holy One, Jesus, see corruption. He will not die. He was raised again for us. So we put those three verses together, and what do we read? It basically sums up this way, that through the resurrection of Jesus, 
We are assured salvation and eternal life in which we will not see death. Is that good news? Come on, church. Is that, that's good news. That's what we're talking about. That's the gospel message. In verses 38 through 39, it says, Through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So again, he's speaking to these Jewish people who were living their life trying to follow the law, thinking that the law was going to save them. We, talk, we spoke to that last week, didn't we? That we don't have to be confined to following the rules to make ourselves better or seen in a better light in front of God. He says it doesn't matter. The weight of the law does not save you. It is the salvation, the death, the resurrection of my son that saves you. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. That's what he, so Paul's saying that again to them. He's preaching the gospel. He's sharing the good news. Set the law down. Don't recite the law of Moses because you have to follow it in order to be a good person. Paul's saying, you don't have to do that. Jesus set you free from that. So walk in that freedom. Only by the blood of Jesus are we set free. And finally, in the last couple of verses, verses 40 through 41, he says something pretty powerful, pretty poignant, that the rejection of this good news results in eternal death. That's powerful. If you do not accept this good news, if you don't accept Jesus, Paul is basically telling these religious leaders and these men who fear God, if you don't accept and put your faith in Jesus Christ, there will be eternal separation from God. I think that's kind of summed up in probably the most famous portion of Scripture in all of history. We can all recite it together. John 3, 16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That what? Whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that everything that Paul is reciting to these guys in the synagogue? This is the good news. This is Jesus Christ. You need to believe in him. If you don't, you will perish. But if you believe in him, the way, the truth, the life, only through him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul is speaking the words of Jesus Christ to these Jewish leaders. It's beautiful correlation because did Paul, was, did he walk with Jesus? Did he live his life with Jesus like the other disciples? No, he was persecuting the Christians. He was persecuting followers of Jesus. He was putting people in prison and putting them to death for following Jesus. And yet here he is quoting Jesus what he said in John 3, 16, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how would he have known Jesus' words, the ministry of the gospel, the purpose of that gospel, if it weren't for the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus? Powerful correlation, isn't it? So here's what it comes down to. Again, as the church, we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's take a little bit closer look. For us, practically, what is the gospel? I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Are you ready? 10 seconds. And I want you to recite to yourself, explain to yourself, what is the gospel? Go.
If it were up to you to walk out on the street and present the gospel to somebody, could you do it? That's what we're talking about right now. That is our responsibility to go into all the world and make disciples. And how do we make disciples? We need to understand what the gospel is and need to be able to recite and share what the gospel is. And what is the gospel? Good news. If you can understand the good news of Jesus Christ, then you can recite and share the gospel with other people. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Say it again. Hallelujah. Did you guys hear that? So that we would receive adoption as sons. And I'm going to go ahead and add, and daughters. So what I need you to understand is a part of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message, is that we become his children. I'm going to say it again. I don't think you're hearing me. We become a part of God's family. We are not by ourselves. We are not alone. We don't have to live this life on our own. We are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. If that's not good news, if that's not great news, I don't know what is. Are you hearing me? That's good news. I'm going to keep reading. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Some will translate Abba, what Jesus said on the cross, as Daddy. A more intimate, endearing term for Father. Abba, Daddy. That's how we can speak of our Heavenly Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son and a daughter, then an heir through God. That's good news. His life, ministry, death, and resurrection that forgives our sins and draws us to salvation gives us life in His name and allows us to become an eternal member of His family. I'll say it again. That's good news. Now, for the bad news. In order to, be, in order to proclaim the good news, in order to proclaim the gospel, we need to understand the bad news, don't we? That's an unfortunate but necessary side to being a follower of Jesus Christ and our responsibility to declare the gospel. We need to understand the bad news. So this is what Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said, he said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's Jesus saying? Repent and believe in me. So let's clarify one more thing. If we've clarified what the gospel is, let's clarify now what repentance is. What does it mean to repent? What are you repenting of? What are you repenting from? For the unbeliever, for those that have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's a changing of our mind. Rejecting the sinful way of life, rejecting anything that is not in correlation with the Word of God and who He is, His character, His heart, His love for us. It's accepting His will, His purpose for our life. Now, I came across this quote from Harry Ironside. 
This is what Harry said about repentance. He said, here is a man who is going on living in open, flagrant sin. And he does not care about anything of the things of God and is totally indifferent to the claims of righteousness. But laid hold of by the Spirit of God, that man suddenly comes face to face with his sins in the presence of God. And he turns right about face and comes to the God that he has been spurning and to the Christ he has been rejecting. And he confesses his sins and puts his trust in the Savior. And this, all of this, is involved in repentance. Now, if you've been in and around military, if any of you have served or had family members that serve, that term, right about face, should mean something. Right? What does that mean? It means we turn around, all the way around. Repentance is a 180 degree turn away from sin, going in the opposite direction. Because in the opposite direction of sin is Jesus Christ. Sin just simply means missing the mark. And if you've ever shot a bow and arrow before, we think of a bullseye. Picture a bullseye in your mind right now. That bullseye is Jesus Christ. That bullseye is the perfection of who God is. And that's what we aim for. That's the whole point, right? To aim for that bullseye. And if we miss that mark in any degree, form or fashion, miss the target completely, and we shoot that way when we should have been shooting this way, that's sin. Anything off the course of who God is is sin. And so we pursue him with everything that we have. Now, let me, let me say something to you guys that repentance is not just for the unbeliever. Repentance is for the believer as well. For the believer, repentance is a response to the hope we have in Jesus. And it's a reflection of our love for him by repeatedly turning from sin and pursuing and continuing to pursue who he is and everything about him. So the unbeliever and his unbelief needs to repent and come to Jesus Christ, spurn his sin, spurn his ways, and, and commit himself to the will of God. And for the believer, it's that continual understanding that we need Jesus Christ every day in our life. So just because you've been following Jesus Christ for some time doesn't mean you, you, you shouldn't preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because we need that good news every day. Amen? Every day. We need to be telling ourselves what the gospel is. And we get to that point to be able to share that gospel with others. So we know what the gospel is. We know what the good news is. We know what the bad news is. So the question now is, what do we do with the gospel? Just to have it here means nothing. So what do we do with the gospel? Jesus in Mark 16, verse 15 said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. It's basically the Great Commission statement in the book of Mark. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go into all the world and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, it's the same Great Commission, but would go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news. So in the same manner as Paul was proclaiming the gospel to these people, these Jews, and these God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogue in Antioch, we proclaim to everybody around us today. In Isaiah, you can put it this way. Isaiah chapter 61 says, Through the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring the good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's what we do. That is the, the power of the gospel in people's lives. It opens their eyes. It sets them free. Free from what? The bondage of sin. When it says to open up the prison doors, it's because people are enslaved, they're in bondage, they're in shackles, in chains to the sin, and they don't even realize it. And yet when those chains fall off, there is so much freedom in that that they've never felt before. We live out the gospel by responding to and meeting the needs of those around us who can't help themselves because they don't know any better. So I'm going to finish up with a few things here and just kind of clarify. This is what the gospel is. If you want to write these down in your notes, it would be a good thing, good reminders for you. Number one, the gospel is true. The gospel is true. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, Jesus said. In the truth of Jesus, we see the lies that the world wants us to believe. The world wants to tell us, this is who you need to be. This is how you need to act. This is what you need to do. You need to take care of yourself. Me, 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 is the world's perspective. But Jesus says, no, it's about me. It's not about you. The gospel is true, but gospel number two is central. The gospel is central to our lives. Everything that we do stems from that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work. Do we hear that? I'm not ashamed of the good news because it is the power of God at work. Meaning when we accept the, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit in us and from within we live and be and do and work everything to the glory of God. He is at the center of all that we are. And this is why when I tell people I don't make a list of priorities in my day, because a lot of people will make their list of priorities and they'll mark Jesus at the top, which makes sense, right? Jesus first, should be. So you check them off, you say a prayer in the morning, you do a little devotion, check and then the whole rest of your day is not including Jesus at all. And so when Jesus is the center, it means no matter what you're doing, where you are, what you are trying to accomplish, or whatever else, Jesus stems from the center of that. So in, in, think about circles. Every circle in your day. Your family is a circle. And at the center of that circle is what? The good news of Jesus Christ. And you don't leave that away and go to work. So when you go to work, you find your next circle, and as an employee or as an employer, at the center of who you are and what you do for a living, at the center of that stems what? It comes Jesus Christ. You take every other circle in your life, and you can do that for yourself. Jesus is the center emanating out of everything that you do in who you are. He is the center of your life. So the gospel is true. The gospel is central. And number three, the gospel is transformative. It transforms our life. Romans 12, 2 makes that very clear. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
The gospel changes our life because of what Christ did for us. It changes the way we think. And when we can take our thoughts captive, when we can think, and everything starts with the mind, what we bring in, what we view, what we talk about, who we are, starts here. What we think about starts here. And then that translates and transforms into emotion. And, <coughs> excuse me, and from that emotion stems action or stems words or whatever else that we do. So if we, if we can transform our mind with the good news of Jesus Christ, then it's the good news of Jesus Christ that we understand. And from that comes the joy and the emotion of being able to live life in Christ that even in the dark times, even in the troubling times, even in the, the hardships of life, because we understand the good news in the midst of that trial, although we might feel angry, we might feel sad, we might feel burdened, we might feel overwhelmed or anxious, you name it. The underlining heart of all that is joy in Jesus Christ because you understand the greater purpose. Are you following me? So that no matter what you're going through, what comes out of you is the good news, is Jesus Christ, is joy. It's transformative. So that's what those three things is what the gospel is. It's true, it's central, and it's transformative. Well, let me quickly, and I'm going to end with this, tell you what the gospel is not. <laughs> we need to understand what the gospel is not. The gospel is not what God requires, but what God provides. The gospel is not demanding things you must do, but rather it's a declaration of what God has already done. You hear that? It's not what you do, it's what has already been done. The gospel is not about our actions, but about what G Jesus had already achieved. It's, again, not our actions, it's what Jesus has already done. The gospel is not an if-then, quid pro quo relationship. We might have some of those in life. You know, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Whatever it might be. That's not relationship in Jesus Christ. We don't live in an if-then situation. Let me give you an example. God, if you will do this for me, then I will follow you. If you just get me out of this situation, God, things aren't good, things aren't right, if you will just save me from this situation, then I promise, I promise, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll go all in with you. But only if you do this for me first. That's not the type of relationship. Or the other side, if I do this or that for God, then I know he'll love me more. It becomes that work-based scenario that if I do this and if I do that and if I'm a good person, if I help the little old lady across the street, if I do this, then I know God will be happier with me. Maybe he'll love me a little bit more. Maybe he'll then bless me a little bit more. If I do that, then God will do this. That's not what Christianity is all about. Let me share with you what it is. And I got this from a commentary by a, in it's a big, big, thick commentary and has, I don't know how many authors. So I can't attribute it to any one person, but if they're listening, you know who you are. So we don't live in an if-then relationship. We live in a because-therefore relationship. Okay? So listen to this. Because we have been justified by faith in Christ, therefore we have peace with God. Because Christ died for us, therefore we are forgiven. 
Because Christ has fulfilled the law in our place, therefore we are set free from its demands and penalty. Instead of a conditional relationship based on merit, the gospel is an unconditional relationship based on grace. I'm going to say that one last time. Instead of a conditional relationship based on merit, the if-then mentality. No, the gospel, the good news, is an unconditional relationship based on the grace of God. Say amen, church. That's what it's all about. That's what the gospel is. So as the church, we abide in God. As the church, we live through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as the church... We are now to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because that's what set us free. Amen? Amen. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you this morning again and we just thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you that it is true, that it is central, that it is transforming of our lives to be able to view the world from a perspective that maybe we never have before. That no matter where we are, Heavenly Father, we can see the world through your eyes. We can see people with the love that you have for us and have for them. A love that is unconditional. It's because of that unconditional agape love that you sent your son to be born, to live, to minister, but ultimately to sacrifice his life on the cross so that we could be set free. Father God, you sent your son to die for us because you love us so much. And yet you knew from the beginning of time that he would not stay dead. That he would not see corruption. That on the third day that he would rise again and therefore solidify our place the eternal presence of our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, it's our prayer this morning that every one of us would submit to that claim, that we would submit ourselves to you, accept your will for our life, Father God, and forego the sin that is weighing us down, forego what we're in bondage to. So thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning.